G'day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Gear Podcast. Episode number, what episode are we up to, Troy number six? Seven. <laughs> Troy number two? Episode seven. Am I Troy number six? Is that what you mean? Like yeah, Troy's Troy one to five? <laughs> Mysteriously yeah, exactly. disappeared. Troy's not one to five. Uh, look, their locations are unknown. No one's been looking for them, to be fair, but still. The council of Troy's. You are looking for them. Exactly, exactly. How's your week been, mate? You had your first Dockers gig back. Yep. The Dockers didn't go too well, but yeah, how did you go, more importantly? I went like, okay. So, I didn't put anything up on the Instagram, like I said, because my, my we sound checked on the roof, as you do. And <laughs> then do. Uh, it was all, all okay. Everybody's happy, but there was um, storm warnings, um, rain and thunder and all that sort of stuff. So, rain is fine. Like nobody seems to has, have a problem with me playing in the rain. However, um, when there's thunderstorms and you're like the tallest person on top of the tallest thing in the area that you're around. When you're on antenna. Yeah, it's a little dangerous. So, I don't mind them cancelling it for that. So, there was thunderstorm warnings um, like too close to the, the start time of the game. So, they decided to can it. However, I, did you watch any of that game? I did watch some of that game. Yeah. So it I was, watched the ending. Yeah. Well, it was, we'll talk about that in a second, but it was clear skies. Um, not a, oh, not clear skies, but it was a beautiful day. No rain, no thunderstorms that I could see. Apparently, maybe like south of the river, there were some storms. So once again, the the south is just ruining it for the rest of us. Exactly, exactly. But, that's a habit that they have here in Perth. That's right. So I ended up rather than playing on the roof, I played on level five, so like the top a level under one of the big uh, big screens, which is okay. But it was really hot. It was right in the sun, and um, I had like a little stage. And, um, yeah, it was, it was fine. I've got some footage of that. I might put that up because it was pretty funny. I hammed up, hammed it out a, a bit, you know, I'm not tethered to a safety rope so I can sort of jump around a bit more. I jumped on a table. Free, that was cool. You're free, free range ham. <laughs> yeah, free range ham. <laughs> none of this, none of this pre-sliced Dorsonia, Mate, you know, straight from the deli ham. section. Just straight from the deli onto the stage. Can't do that for much longer. They're getting rid of them at all the Woolies and Coles, right? All the deli stations. Yeah. I, so. um, not surprised, but it is a slight convenience that I'm sure many of our listeners enjoy. And be sure to follow the Instagram as well, because Troy's been posting content on there of his studio. You can go and get a, it's kind of like the the visual aid to the gear podcast, isn't it? When we talk about stuff that we talk about, you can go and look at it on Instagram. Yep. How are we going on the followers count, Troy? I'm going to tell you right now, mate, we have um, 34 as of time of recording. And in fact, um, we've had a couple of messages, which is nice. We can talk about some today. Uh, Luis uh, from the Dominican Republic. Uh, he was our 31st follower. So shout out to you. Um, Fantastic. Thank you for joining us. And uh, oh, he's got lots of followers too. He's like way out following us, way out following me. Um, and our friend Chris Brennan as well. He's like, uh, we're going to talk about s some stuff that he's uh, he's asked uh, in a moment. But first, mate, how are you? I didn't ask. Are you well? Things good? Yeah. Living the dream, mate. Being busy. Did not one, but two gigs at our uh, at our favorite locale, the Henley Brook on the weekend. Did the usual Friday. And then we did a trio gig on Sunday afternoon. And Cam used his Roland SPDS setup, which he's got set up with like a kick trigger pedal so that you can play it like a drum kit. And... I got to tell you, it's one of the most enjoyable gigs I've done in recent memory. I had such a good time. It was a really nice day because we did one till four. So it was like pumping. Lots of people in there, you know, outdoors. I played uh, 
people who watch my channel would have seen the buddy guy strat that i've been playing a bit on there so i played that uh yeah just had a had a wicked time we played we just ended up jamming a bunch of songs that we kind of know as well so did some king's x did some white snake did did a whole bunch of fun stuff so what, yeah I, I really enjoyed it and it sounded really good too what king's x song did you play was it goldilocks over my head over my head that's a good one giving it the old the old tondi on that one love that so, song. yeah i mean we didn't we just kind of you know there's a riff and then there's some chords and some yeah, shouting you had a, you had a jam sesh didn't you we had a jam sesh. We we just kept saying, just have fun with it. You don't know the song? Just have fun with it. Now you're having fun. That's so, the way yeah, I do every gig. I, yeah, I really enjoyed that on Sunday. So And then uh, you got to watch the West Coast Eagles get finally win a game at Optus Stadium. Finally win a game at Optus Stadium. Jake the Snake Waterman with four biggies. Yep. Um, they don't have a big TV set up outside at the end, do they? They don't have any TVs. That's a shame. That's part of the appeal. Yeah, that's a, it's a shame when you're sitting in the back corner playing a gig and need something to do. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you know this, right? How many games of football have you watched just by watching the score on your phone? Like, not watching the game, just looking at the numbers come up? Yeah, I have a, um, I have a, a mic stand phone clip thing now. Which partly that controls my little digital desk, but also when I'm when I'm done with that, because I only need but that to start the gig. Yeah, just pop it up. Um, have the AFL.com just uh, give me scores. Even though it's the worst app and it's so bloody slow to react to anything, you can't like leave it on the score section. You have to scroll down, at least on my phone, to like the live, like what's happening live, and then yeah, it'll tell you when someone's the goal. It sucks. You but- would think the AFL would sort that out. So, so I mean. You know, this secretly is a podcast about the AFL and not about guitar gear. But yeah, gigs were good. And I had, I mean, lots of stuff that I've been waiting to put out for a while because, you know, when you do when you do what I do, you have embargoes and NDAs and stuff. So, Well, last week, right. Something we wanted to talk about last week that we couldn't because it didn't come out was that new Headrush Prime. Uh, Got a lot of traction the q a that i did last week lots of people wanted to chime in on i did a video on what else did i do the high game plugins there was that crazy tube circuits mother load which was really cool mm-hmm. uh the neural amp modeler yeah that was kind of cool I yeah that's pretty like full disco- disclosure uncle leon like i didn't watch all your videos in the last week i watched the oh, high game plugin one um but i haven't really had the opportunity do you know what what happened i reckon last thursday i was in prime like I, I need YouTube videos to watch. Like yeah, I was sitting yeah. around the studio, I was kind of like tidying up and I was getting ready for some, some stuff on the weekend. I was like, oh, perfect opportunity to have stuff on in the background. And instead there was just kind of like nothing out at that particular time I hadn't seen yet. So I think you put a lot of stuff out over the weekend, if I'm not mistaken. And um, yep. and I've been a little bit busy, unfortunately. So I haven't caught, caught up with everything, but um, yeah, there's some cool stuff there, man. So what's what's been... Um, you know, what's been tickling your fancy of the stuff that's come out? Anything that's really blown your socks off? Yeah, I mean, the neural amp modeler thing is cool. If anyone watched my video on it, then they would know what I'm about to talk about. But it's open source. That's kind of the big thing with it. It's very accurate as well. I mean, I watched a video where somebody compared it to Tone X and there was sort of a lower error margin between that and the amp being profiled in Tone X. And Tone X is awesome. Sounds really, really good. Sorry, you said yeah, the Neural One is more reliable than the Tone X. Is that what you said? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's developed by somebody called Stephen Atkinson, I believe. So it's a yeah, it's an open source thing. I mean, the look, the fiddly thing with it is if you want to create your own capture, you take this pre-recorded DI, you run it through, you know, your rig, and then the training happens on like a Google Colab sheet. So it's like, oh, okay. you know, 
there's like Python code running and you know stuff. So it I, just looks I like actually, the Matrix. Yeah, basically, it's it's the Matrix. Leon's pulling uh, tones out, just like reading the lines of code coming down. Yeah, but what's cool about it is there's a lot of control over you know if you want to train it for twelve hours, you can do that. Um, if you want the neural network to train for five minutes, you can also do that. So yeah, it's a pretty interesting approach, and there's people getting around it, which I think is fun. It reminds me, you know, I remember when I first got into the Axe Effects and going to the forum, how kind of you had this core group of people who were really, really into it, and they had all the, you know, they knew all the hacks and fun tricks and tips and uh, I mean that element's still there but I think as a company like Fractal has you know they have a lot more stuff out and they have floorboards out so their kind of user base has massively expanded from a bunch of nerds wanting to do cool stuff to the majority of people just being like hey how do I do a dotted eighth note delay or how do I do this thing with a foot switch so kind of the focus shifts and then you go but to yeah, the- youtube.com forward slash Leon Todd and there's your your resource Exactly, and that that was the long game all along. Funnily enough, like the amount of people that um, I know that have fractal stuff, and were like, I was trying to work out how to do this thing, and I typed into Google, and Leon already had a video about it. It was like, <laughs> you know, you are Mister Fractal, Fracky themselves, yeah, big time, big time. I mean, uh, and you know, to be fair, there's a really good wiki there, and that's where I learned everything from. Is that so the Yek? Listening. Yek is yeah. that the guy's name? Shout out to Yek, also known as I'm sure his mum calls him Alex. Um, yeah, okay. legendary amount of work. Like he's basically the only person who runs that wiki and it's so good. Man, do you know what's like really awesome that that guy does? So like when I've gone through the um, like different amps in my Axe 8, which admittedly now I don't do it so much. Oh, sidebar, uh, side, yeah, quick sidebar now. I, I ended up using the Axe 8 for the Dockers game uh, instead of using the ampli- uh, the, um, the Nux, the yep. Nux, New X. Uh, thing only because I'm like you know what first game back I just want to make sure this is all going to be okay and I just want reliable to and man I plugged in it's like that is just my favorite guitar sound that 800 thing that I've dialed in it's so it's so easy for me to play it's like annoying how much I like it because yeah. I I can get good sounds out of um like my my HX stomp and all that but like that sound it's just like that it's just so perfect for me but anyway um yeah. Going back to what I was going to say, I've I'm always confused, and uh, I think we've mentioned before, like pairing speaker cabinets and stuff with with amps, and I think that's such an underappreciated part of trying to get a guitar sound. So the every single amp in the fractal, he's got it there with the cabinet, which yeah. like outside of digital modeling is also awesome. If you've got like, you know, like I, I tried out, I think that's the reason I tried the Greenbacks with the Splorn. And it was like, oh, this sounds so much better. Like struggled with vintage 30s, but the greenbacks is is definitely the vibe. So you can sort of use that as a, a you know, what sounds good with my amp. Go to that page and you might, uh, you know, be surprised. If, even if you're looking for a hardware cab, I mean, or speakers. Yeah, so, it's it's just a, it's an amazing resource. And, you know, you go on the forum and like you've got Cliff Chase's tech notes about amps, which is an amazing resource just for learning about amps. And, you know, this is somebody who's pulled apart you know, what, a few hundred different amplifiers and gone through every single component and yep. modeled them. So, yeah, that's cool. The, uh, yeah, anyway, that, that was a like a tangent from, yeah. you know, kind oh, of so reminds me of that sort of community where it's just, just a Facebook ask, group. Yeah, can I just ask- really around it. Can I ask with that, um, uh, the, the, neural, the new, new neural thing, so you train it, 
right? So you train your thing and you get what file? Is, is this like it's a plugin or is it like an interface, desktop interface, or it's not a pedal or anything, right? It's just in the computer. No, no, it's, it's, it's purely a, purely on the computer. So you create, you record a sample. Yep. You, you, you reamp a DI basically through your rig and then you upload it. There's an, you can train it on your computer if you want, but you know, there's like an easy way to do it. And I kind of like that aspect of it where you've got the option. You know, if you've got an old slow computer, you can use the Google Cloud processing yep. to go through and train the neural network. And then that creates basically a, a, an AMP model file and you load that into the plugin right. with with. You know, if you've captured the amp with a load box, then mm-hmm. you can also load up an IR in there. But aside from that, it's not doing like it's not a fully featured suite with reverb and delay. It's just like you have your you basically create a custom amp model mm-hmm. with this neural network training, and then you load an IR, and there you go. You got a guitar sound, and you and know. So, but when you say it's a plugin, good, it's basically it's like an AAX or a VST plugin that you just dump in your door. Is that the the vibe? Yep, yep, I think it's just a VST. You can run it in standalone mode as well. And you know, okay. it's I had some issues with it where it's only taking input one from my interface, yep. um, no matter what I set to. So it's a bit buggy at the moment. But again, it's open source. I've se- I saw someone has already taken it and put it into like a Raspberry Pi style mm-hmm. pedal thing. Uh, so I mean, the exciting thing about it, right, is like, you know capturing like if you have you know you're doing a recording you can just use this thing you don't have to pay any money for it you can capture all the source tones and then you've got them yeah or uh the other thing again if you want to go down that kind of homebrew route and you wanted to make yourself a little raspberry pi powered pedal that can load captures then (laughs) you've got you've got something that sounds you could get a rather than you know go out and buy the Tonex pedal. You can make your own thing if you're handy with this stuff. It's it's, it's these it's are fun projects. Perfect. Yeah, they're fun yeah. projects. I mean, it, it's interesting you say about um, capturing the tone. So I can, I remember years ago that was a big thing about the Kemper when that first came out because people were saying, "Great, you do your session, you get your guitar sound, and then you capture it. And if you need to do overdubs, well, you've got it all in the Kemper ready to go." To, to redo it and that's a really good idea in theory i don't know how many people are doing that in practice and i'm i would be curious to find out um and i don't mean that to shit on them on it, the idea whatsoever but i never feel like i have the time to be able to capture sound after i've done a part particularly if you're constantly changing amps or changing settings or guitars or whatever it's kind of like i guess like if you've if you found the sound for an entire project or you're gonna you know you're gonna do everything through one sound that might be one thing um but the kemper Okay, well, Ken- the Kemper alone, that takes a few minutes to do a profile. The Tone X can take, what, like, on my computer, 15 minutes to do a tone in the medium setting um, to capture Yeah, it. yeah, 15, 20 minutes. Uh, the Quad Cortex is a couple of minutes. Yeah, the so... Uh, it like, has an ant match clone thing that takes a few minutes. I'm really curious, man, like, genuinely, if people are doing that because it does, like, feel like a really good idea. Um, it's just whether or not in practice it makes us, makes sense. Yeah, I've tried some captures that people have made that sound really, really good. Um, I mean, like on the fly, like an on the fly capture, like post, you've done your tone, like you've recorded something and then you've done it. Like that's more from a workflow thing. Yeah, you'd need to be kind of permanently set up to do it. Um, Some of the capture, my my misgivings with a lot of the capture stuff um, is that, yeah, there's no process to go through and filter stuff. You're just constantly scrolling through. It's like scrolling IRs, you know? Um, where you're just like, oh, that sounds okay, that sounds okay. And then, you know, out of 
you know, a very small percentage sound really good. I pro I captured one of my amps and I know that sounds good that came out. So I think the strength with it is it's like, hey, if you've got nice amps at home, you can capture all of them. And I'm, I'm sure there's manufacturers out there which will just take this and cram it in a pedal that's kind of locked and loaded. Mm. The file management end of it, even Tone X, like the file management system on it is crap like it's very confusing in the app um there's yeah, certain things it. that it does where i'm just like why you know you hit the tone net button and you can't get your local files it's yeah there's a lot to be desired and then with the kempo with the quad cortex with all of this capture stuff you know it makes it makes the capture thing accessible so what you end up with is rather than being like wow this is so good i can just go and try out all these amazing tones you end up with this sea of mediocrity um, because all these things are, you know, context dependent. So, you know, what might sound great in someone's rig doesn't work for you. So you're just like, oh, well, this is okay. And then, you know, if it's a, if there's quirks to the amp, like they have push pull switches or different tone stacks and stuff like that, you're kind of locked into this like generic, it's either got a bit of pre-EQ or post-EQ. Yep. So there's that. I mean, it's, look, Again, it's open source. There's a lot of people in the kind of Facebook group there who are really good about it, and there's a pretty good energy about the group, which I like. Again, it seems like people are very... Like, there's a very specific demographic, right, of people who are going to really dig this, and they're people who probably like to listen to this podcast, but, you know, they like the deep dive aspect of it. They like the tech aspect of it. It's, um, it's very attractive, I think, for a very particular subset of guitar players. And there's a whole lot of people who will just never use it or understand what's going on. And I guess <laughs> that's fine. It's like, I'm one of those people, man. You know, I love, I love a bit of nerdy tech stuff. Um, I'm always limited by time. That's the, and you know, even I said before we started recording, um, I'm in a bit of a room acoustics thing right now. Mm -hmm. um, so that's going to take up my next probably three weeks of brain power. Whereas, probably a month and a half ago, it was all about the Tonex and the modeling. What yep. I can say about the Tonex is I haven't been playing with it so much to capture sounds. However, it has been like so, so useful to me in an actual practical setting recently, not even with my own stuff, but bringing the amp up and using it for guy guitar sounds. Uh, I, I used that for a session last week and it was awesome. It was like the song required a Marshall sound and um, there you it go. was like- like spot on. It was exactly what I needed. And it was just a stock. I've got the cheapest version of it too. So it doesn't have all the stuff in there. Um, but more usefully, I've been using it on bass and it's awesome on bass when you want like a decent like SVT sort of sound. It's really, really, really simple. Yeah. So yeah. I'm like, um, I, I'd say it's probably my, it's my go-to like uh, amp plugin at the moment, like, mostly because it's new, but it's also nice to know it's like, it is a modeled captured thing and not just a digital re recreation. I kind of, it's, it's like quick to get those sounds, I think, um, when you just yeah, need that sound. It, there's a definite strength through it, and it is that just speed of like, hey, I know I've got this capture. I know it sounds good. Uh, I'm going to – I'll just read something about the NAM that came up. I thought this was a pretty good little perspective. It's from Taylor Danley, who has a pretty good YouTube channel, more focusing on like the kind of extreme metal stuff. Um, do you want to go and watch someone dial in a bunch of amps and play Cannibal Corpse riffs really, really well. Would highly recommend. Um, yeah, good channel. Um, there, what was a video that I was thinking of um, that I watched recently? And 
I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, oh, yeah, he's got this series of like the old, like going through these solid state amps from the 90s, but he did one. It's called Chug Battle, the ultimate 90s death metal amp. <laughs> and it's there's an Ampeg, uh, Marshall Valve State, and a Crate. Uh, if anyone's really into those kind of tones, like Taylor's channels, really, really good for that. But anyway, I'm going to read out a comment that they left on this NAM, and I think it's a good perspective. Uh, it, he basically said, like, that's cool. You had a good experience. Mine was not so great. Super buggy and constantly being asked for microphone permission and having the latency keep resetting to 512 samples. I realized I didn't have the time or patience to deal with something open source. Call me crazy, but convenience is something I'm willing to pay for. So, yeah, basically, uh, and, you know, that was... They also said it's a really cool project, and I commend um, Stephen Atkinson. But I'd rather just pay for something that works. I like the Tone X thing. Again, you're paying for something that's going to work in a professional setting. Uh, you know, imagine you've got a session with someone. You're like, oh, we'll just use this open source thing. Yeah. Uh, hang on, bro. I just need to like get the source code and move a few parameters. Is something you're never going to do in a professional capacity. You just want like, oh, you want guides? You want bass? Here you go. Yep. I've I've had. Well, I create those uh, issues myself with some of the wiring and patching <laughs> that I do, and it's hard. Like, uh, it's hard enough as it is, um, rather than also deal with other people's stuff too. So, yeah, there, there's that kind of. It, I'm sure it will uh, become more flexible. It'll become more reliable. It just needs a bit of time. If it's only come out like in the last few weeks or whatever, um, or when it, when did it come out? I think it's a couple of months, but months, it's sort okay. of like it's been. You know, the the fan base for it has been growing, and again, it's. There's, it seems like there's a critical mass of people using it and experimenting with it. It's one of those things like smart person does a smart thing and they're really smart at the thing that they're smart at, but then somebody else smart about a different thing comes in, like, you know, a, a graphical user interface or something. That's and, what I was going to yeah. say, man. It's like the the graphic user interface or even like talking about Tonex and the interface for that, which is just confusing, the editor, the library, whatever. It's, um, you kind of need, this is why you have a team of people. Like it's hard to be good at everything. Yeah, but I think the the interesting thing, if it remains open source, you know, it'd be interesting to see if you just end up with those people who someone's like, I do this for a day job for software, but you know what, I like guitar tones too, so I'll just knock this out for fun. Yep. I can see it in a year or two years being way easier to use, being way more stable, way more yep. kind of feature rich and hopefully still open source. It's, yeah, really, really cool. Because I did that and I did a bunch of, I did a video just called like, high game plugins you might like where it was yep. um, some Nimbrini audio, some neural DSP and the McGrocklin plugin, uh, which was, it was kind of interesting for me doing that video side by side and just swapping between the plugins. And like the, the user experience was definitely a factor in the way I dialed things in. Um, what uh, I can't remember what you said reflection wise at the end there. Was it just because they all sounded good. I mean, yeah. did you have a, what was your favorite of those? It, I mean, I like, I kind of like them all for different reasons. The, the Nembrini one was cool because it was just like, here is a sick high gain sound. Um, it's not really the sort of sound I would use all the time, but yeah, just like, yeah, you put some knobs there and you're done. The NDSP obviously is like a Boogie 2C+, which is a pretty cool sound and they did a really, really good job with that. And they've got, you know, on that, it's like they just have the transpose feature as a button. Or I a thought doubler. that was so clever. I don't know why you don't see that in more stuff. Excellent. You know, they should, I really hope they have that across all their plugins. Again, the big criticism with them is they have like 15 plus plugins now and they don't ha really have a unified. That's right. I think you mentioned that, didn't you? In the and I don't think they are 
uh, Apple Silicon compatible yet. So, oh, okay. yeah, it's sort of Fuck, like- Fuck, man. Pause for two seconds. Are you aware of all the wave stuff that happened like yesterday? Oh, my God. Yes. Fuck, man. I'm very upset about that because- We should talk about it. Yeah. Well, do you want to finish this and then we'll talk about the wave yeah. stuff? Yep. Yep. Sorry to, uh, sorry to derail, but yeah, like you go on, tell me about this stuff. Uh, tell me about the, the neural stuff and the, the yeah, unified so <laughs> loader. Or It'd just be great to have a unified plugin loader and, you know, Apple Silicon support. It's like they keep pumping out these plugins, but they haven't kind of addressed some of those issues, which obviously aren't issues for them because the people who like that stuff, you know, they're targeting a very particular audience. And, you know, I've got students who are like, when that archetype Petrucci came out, they just bought it because they were like, oh, it's John Petrucci's plugin, bro. And it's like, yeah, but you've already got like two of the other plugins. Did you really <laughs> test it that much or did you look at the feature set or whether you need it? Uh, which, hey, is kind of cool. You know, if you if you love a particular artist and you want to go and buy their plugin, but I think with that stuff, there's very cool features. Like the Tim Henson plugin has this kind of um, four-voice uh, kind of pitch shifter where if you feed MIDI into it, it will you can play single notes and it'll auto harmonize it, which is right. really really cool. But that to me is something that you should be able to have with any of their plugins. It shouldn't just be tied to that particular. Yep. Whether you have to, hey, if you got to pay a bit for it, that's kind of cool. But yeah, it's um, I've got that was kind of my main criticism there, where that like transpose thing, the doubler, it's awesome. There's just buttons for it. They're really usable. Great idea. Uh, it'd be great to have that on all of the plugins. And then the other one was the Polychrome DSP Thomas McCrocklin plugin, which I th found really interesting because just a different approach. It's not like a photo of an amp or, you know, a graphic of an yeah. amp and you kind of turn the knobs. It's just like, here's a bunch of sounds that guitar players probably like. And if you want more or less of something, there's buttons to do it. It was a really interesting, to me, it was a really nice plug-in to use just because I was like, ah, oh, I'll turn that on. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. Hey, there's this other thing. I'll turn that on. That doesn't sound as good, so I'll turn it off. Um, really good reverbs and delays in it. It's um, They clearly put some thought into how people are going to use it as a plug-in, not as, you know, there's this thing, I think, because uh, you're clicking on a screen. It's not a tactile, not yep. a very tactile amp-like thing. Um, there's a bunch of different elements that go into making that usable than just like honestly having to turn a knob with a mouse on your computer does not make sense it's yep. hard um it's not as satisfying as turning a real knob so they kind of got around that there's a lot of push buttons and things like that and it's very very like kind of synth wave aesthetic as well which i enjoyed i feel like when i was listening to that i i reckon i liked it the least and I, I think it's for a really- yeah, That's interesting. Yeah, I think it's for a really silly reason, which is going to be embarrassing when I say it, but there's like a familiar, familiarity, is that the word? With with knobs, like knobs and buttons and stuff that you used to on an amp. And sometimes it's that thing that tricks you of because it looks like the amp you're touching, when, <laughs> yeah, yeah. when you turn the knob, you expect it's going to sound a certain way. Whether it does that or not um, is beside the point, but you have that sort of like that feedback there. And I find- uh, sometimes with amps, and it's, it happens in the digital stuff as well, um, where it's like the dimensionality appears flatter just because it doesn't look like the thing <laughs> that you used to it looking like. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, big time. Because uh, I mean, it's it's a it's a full on it's full immersion. You're looking, you're hearing. Yeah, which is all like that kind of stuff. I think that's a thing. Uh, that's a generational thing. Um, 
whereby if you're, let's say like 15 now and you're used to using, like you get that plugin and that's how you dial in sounds or, or you're just using fractal stuff or you're using the um, HX software or whatever. Um, it's kind of meaningless. You, you're dialing in tones, tones by your ears and that's all you need to do um, or, or you should be doing. But I think there is probably a generation above that, like me and people older than me, maybe that just kind of struggle with that. And it's, it's silly because I think if you AB, it's not going to sound any different or it's not going to sound worse. I, sh- I mean, not any different, um, but it's just hard to get your head around it. It's, um, it's silly. Uh, or I, I, I acknowledge that it's silly because you're talking about like knobs on a plugin. You're completely right. It doesn't, it, it's very limited in its functionality. It, it makes a lot more sense to have um, like faders or, or whatever, but um you know, if you yeah. use you use a um, SSL style EQ, for example, and there's just something that is recognizable about pushing the red knob up and getting that clear, bright sound, that I can do that on my Fab Filter plugins, and it doesn't do the same thing. Um, yeah, so big time. I think it's doesn't feel like know, it's the same, even if it's it imposes it imposes limitations on what you can and can't do, and sometimes those limitations are advantageous from a from an auditory perspective, I think that's yep. definitely right. Uh, speaking of plugins, uh, the the pro audio side of the world has been uh, it's yeah, has been yeah outraged, probably rightfully so. There's been there's been a very very strong response to uh, the Waves plugin thing, which I've just seen a lot of thumbnails with disappointed faces and I haven't watched about it. So I don't know the specifics, but okay. I figured you might know a bit more. Yeah, I'll tell you about it. Um, so I, do you have any Waves plugins? You know, I do. Uh, I definitely own a bunch of Waves licenses and I have none of them installed at the moment. I've got like the, well, like the Shep's Omni channel I use a bunch of times. You don't have it anymore, Uncle Leon. Sorry. Oh, well, there you go. Um, so what happened is um, traditionally... Well, I don't know when you bought those plugins, but what happens with the waves thing? So I should just make an FU waves video like everyone else. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, what happens is you can buy the waves bundle or, or a waves plugin. And after you buy it, you have one year of them supporting it for you. So if they do an update, they, con- they constantly put out different versions of the, of the plugin. So they were up to version, I think, 13 or 14 as of last week. Um, maybe, th- yeah, it doesn't matter. But... If, um, if your plugin is older than a year old and, for example, you go from an operating system that doesn't support the previous version and you need to get the next version up, then you're going to have to pay for it. So, in terms of operating systems, uh, across the, la- the, the time that I've been a, a Waves user and an Apple user, it hasn't been like too big of an issue. It's like when it comes to updating the plugins, it costs something like they, they cap it at about uh, sorry, $240 US and that will update... If you have all of their plugins, then it'll update for a maximum of that much money. If it's only like one plugin that you paid twenty nine dollars for, it's obviously not going to cost two hundred forty dollars to update it. It'll, it's like yep. scaled down, right? I've got a lot of Waves plugins, and um, yeah, so it's usually like two forty. So that's kind of fine. I found I'd probably have to update them every three four years, so it's a pain in the ass because it ends up being like a four hundred ish four fifty dollar bill. To, yeah, to, yeah. to be in, to install those plugins. They're not the only p- people that do that, like Antares with Autotune. You, I've had to pay for different versions of that, which is about $130 US to upgrade, um, just so you can use it on different computers sometimes, which is a real pain in the dick as well, because that's just one yeah. plugin. So anyway, um, 
the Waves thing, it's called the WUP, uh, the Waves Update Policy or Update <laughs> Program, W-U-P. Um, yeah, that's very funny. I never actually put that together. Not not the W-A-P. Not, not the W-A-P. So, <laughs> that, um, that's been all well and good, even though people really like hate paying that, that fee. So ultimately, they do, it's like Avid, right? Like every yeah. year it comes around, I'm like, oh, I got to renew my Pro Tools license. Maybe yeah. I'll just get Reaper. And then I just shut up and pay it and use Pro Tools for the next year. Yeah. So what Waves did is they can the WUP, um, not out of nowhere. I they did went see- full Ben Shapiro on it, did they? <laughs> well, yeah. They What they did is um, there was very quiet murmurings that this was happening like last Friday. And the idea was that they were completely getting rid of the, the WUP. And so, from the 26th or the 27th of March, um, it would be subscription only. So, you can get access to all their plugins, of which there's like over 200 now. Um, The most expensive one is like $24 US a month subscription. Um, And then the cheaper one is like $14 a month subscription, right? So, with that thing, you get... Uh, if they release a new plugin, then they'll add it to the bundles. You get immediate access to all that sort of stuff. You don't have to pay WAP anymore. Uh, all the plugins just kind of happen automatically. So there's like, that's cool. There's like a lot of benefits to that. And I do subscriptions with a lot of plugins. However, me, I've not updated the the WAP for like two years, I think, or maybe, yeah, almost three years since I got my Mac mini. Um, none of my plugins will work on Apple Silicon. So none of, if I ever update this computer, um, I'm unable to update whatsoever any of these plugins to work with the next generation of computers. Uh, so that's uh, same as you, all the plugins that you own, um, even if you wanted to update them, install them, um, you you won't be able to do that anymore. You don't own them anymore. No. So that's why it's a real pain in the ass because I've spent like thousands, maybe let's just say conservatively two, three grand on the plugins themselves as well as updating the WAP, let's say, like three, four times over the last 10, 12, 15 years, well, probably 10, 12 years. So, it's, I've put a significant amount of money into this stuff. And um, and at right now, it's an issue for me because I'm not needing to install it on different computers. But um, I was looking at getting a new like Apple Silicon computer sometime in the next probably six to 12 months. And it means I won't have access to any of those plugins unless I go on the subscription. But what's even worse is you get something like 100 plugins on the cheaper subscription and like 200 plus with the more expensive subscription. A lot of the plugins I already own are only available on the expensive sub- subscription. <laughs> so, for example, well, they'll give you the CLA 1176 plugin in the cheaper one, but not the LA2A plugin, which I use both of those. And I've bought that bundle. Uh, I actually have two copies of that bundle, I think. And... Um, they're, to to use the one plugin that I've that I would like to use, and that's on a bunch of my old projects. Um, I have to pay an extra ten dollars a month for that, uh, for the access to that. So this is why people are so shitty about it. Because um, I mean, yeah, I've I've got a lot of bundles and I've spent a significant amount of money, but other people have spent way more than I have <laughs> over the over the journey. And um, yeah, it's kind of ends up being uh, all for nothing because you end up being uh, having to pay the entire thing again uh, every year or like, you know, forced to pay that that money every year. For me, said so I saw the murmurings of it last Friday. So, like, I, they might be getting rid of the WAP and all this sort of stuff. And um, I was like, fuck, I better update that. Firstly, I forgot. But secondly, I didn't really have 400 bucks that I could just go to, like, on all those yeah. plugins to update it, like, at the drop of a hat. Because, I've, like, I've got to fucking replace a toilet 
like literally tomorrow. And that's going to cost me several hundred dollars. And it's Things like, that you don't think about in studios, yeah, like, like the toilet. Exactly. That's got to be fixed. And I was like, fuck, well, I, I'm not going to. I'm not going to put that off just so I can like update my waves plugins. It's like, fuck that. And then they, they pull the trigger on it. Um, so just to let you know that announcement happened yesterday morning as we record. So it's approximately like 36 hours from when we're recording and the, the gear sluts post has 966 replies in that time. (laughs) Gear space thing. Sorry. So people are really unhappy about it. I don't think there's anybody in the world that, are that is, um, defending them for this. It's, yeah, it, it really sucks. And and what it means is like they might – I'm not sure if the bad press is going to mean anything to them and they may uh, allow you to do it. It might, might be one of those situations where their hand is forced or whatever. whatever. I'm just going to have to um, move away from using the Waves plugins in the future because I don't want to pay another subscription. Um, and what I'll do is if I need to open old sessions, I'm just going to have to pay like a month subscription just so I can open old sessions up when the time happens. Which is a real yeah. pain in the ass, but unfortunately, that's the only way I'm going to be able to do it because I don't want to, I don't want to deal with this, um, uh, like that much cost every year, like people on are, top of all the other subscriptions that you have. Yeah, it's like in your life. Well, that's another forty, forty-five dollars. If I get the one that I need, that's forty to forty-five dollars extra a month, um, for literally for nothing. Well, I get all these extra plugins that I don't want or need just to use the plugins that I already own. So, yeah, it's that, yeah, that, that's the, that's I mean, the controversy. I'll give you I'll give you a counterexample to that. Is it from um, Dragon Ball Z? It's not from Dragon Ball Z, but I'll do my best to try work some Dragon Ball Z references into it. Uh, I got a, an email from Fabfilter yep. a couple of days ago, which said, "Hey, we've added Apple native silicon support to all of our plugins. Yep. We recommend you go and download them. If you already own, own them, you just go and download them yep. and install them again, and then they work. Yep. Even I saw Pro Tools." Uh, you know, now has native Apple Silicon support. But you know what doesn't for me, which I need on everything is Isotope. They haven't updated (laughs) uh, vocal denos. So I'm still running it all in Rosetta, which sucks. Uh, Well, it doesn't suck. It's fine. But yeah, it's it's very, very close. I'm sure once Isotope is uh, Silicon native, then it'll all be hunky-dory for me. But yeah, I mean, that's to me like... (laughs) <laughs> you know, FabFilter, like, deservedly so, has a pretty loyal, like, user base. Yep. Or, you know, Valhalla, where it's, you know, yep. oh, yeah, hey, we've made it, we've updated everything. It was a bunch of work on our end. But here you go. Thanks for, like, basically, you know, keeping us alive. Whereas Waves, it just seems like they're like, oh, well, if people don't want to use it, we'll just deal with it because we'll just keep selling subscriptions. Yeah, and, like, there's uh, the positives, or the people that I ha- have heard um, say, you know, who's this... Uh, who's this targeted ad uh, at? It makes sense. It's like if you're a younger um, person getting into this industry or doing it as a hobby and you have access to literally 200 plugins uh, plus a month for whatever that cost is, that's like a reasonable deal. Um, it's not cheap, but it's like kind of reasonable. So, you know, you can sort of understand why rather than spend all your money up front like the rest of us have for the last couple of years, it's like very beneficial to new people coming through. But it's a real like fuck you to people that have been using it for literally yeah. 25, 30 years. You've That's- shafted your long-term users just to make it easier to get new people in the system, which yeah. isn't cool. I mean, great. another great example, Fractal Audio released, you know, they've got Dyna cabs now um, where you can move a virtual microphone around on the cabinet. Um, mm-hmm. and if you've got an XFX3, it doesn't change any of the exist. They didn't get, they didn't delete the existing user IRs. 
your existing presets aren't broken by it. It's just a new thing. There's, I think they said for it's still in um, beta at the moment, but when it launches, it's going to be like 35 cabs. So it's like they're just they're just giving their existing users like 35 new high quality IR packs to use with a nice kind of visual indicator of how to use it. Yep. Um, yeah. Are you, you the know? nice indicator of how to use it? <clears throat> Unfortunately, my face is not featured in the uh, Axe Edit view on there. So, But I've done, I did a video with it yesterday. I did another one today. I actually did another one for the G66 channel. So I've done a lot of, I've been playing around with the Dynacabs a lot. What I found really, really interesting was, um, so the way they've shot them, they're all perfectly phase aligned. Uh, okay. And I was kind of blending like, you know, dynamic and a ribbon. And I was like, this is good, but it's still a bit like spicy sounding. You play around with the phase alignment a little bit and it's just like, it's so good because, yep. um, it, yeah, it, obviously phase is a thing and it doesn't make it like massively out of, you can make it massively out of phase, but it's like, you know what, you want to like bump a microphone a tenth of a millimeter, you can do that and you can, uh, without having to use like high cuts and low cuts and all that kind of stuff, it's, um, you can kind of get a bit closer before yeah. you do all that stuff. I actually messed around with that in the Tonex a bit. Uh, I found that feature of it quite useful. Um, yeah, in what general, they call the VIR. Yeah, I, I quite like those cabs versus the other IRs that they have in there. Um, I'm sort of like, I've not been a huge fan of the two notes dynamic ones, the dynamic IRs. Um, yeah, interesting. I, I actually haven't tried them. When I first got the uh, Reload and the Wall of Sound plugin, I, I tried them a little bit, but I sort of found, I think everyone sort of did. Like when I got that, people saying, I'll oh, get your own Hammer cabs and or your Justin York ones or whatever. I think that's what I ended up getting. Yeah. And um, and they do sound better. And it's it's just that thing of like pull in one rather than spend, like have it be another thing that you've got to keep tweaking to get a sound that you want. Um, so I it's it's really good. Uh, like the concept of it's really good, like the dynamic um, dynamic cabs in everything. It's just something that I, I'm like, fuck, I, I just don't want to think about this one thing so much, which is yeah, partly yeah. why, like I've got all these uh, cabinets of mine pretty well mic'd up. I pretty much put, put the mic in the same position on every cab, unless it sounds bad and then I'll move it. Um, and then, yeah, like you sort of tweak the amp from there. It's um, from a practical perspective or at least a studio perspective, um, Mic position makes a big difference, but once you work out what you like, it's pretty easy to get it in the same spot. Blending mics is another whole battle, which <laughs> yeah. um, I've actually got it. Uh, I've done it a few times um, in my uh, in my uh, template at the moment, and I mentioned this last week, uh, doing a session and recording a DI signal um, so that I could play it back through the, through the amps to, to adjust the guitar sound for someone. So that worked really well but i i do have a, a template set up where i've got pink noise um within some tracks so i can run that out through the reamp box through the cabinet so i can use that to align the mics because this is kind of a a michael wagner thing i guess uh not well he didn't invent this but um oh, it's him or slipper man it was one of the two but um some of the guitar research guitar recording research i've been doing recently for my own um interest uh like i usually will phase align microphones by getting like a high spiky transient. Um, so usually mute the, the high E string around the 15th fret and just like pluck the string really quick. So it goes through the cabinet 
into the microphones and then you've got a visual indication of where the the, the mics line up right at least from the transient because in theory if um where the spike happens if the spike happens at the same spot on two mics then they it means that the mics are the same distance from the cabinet and then they align perfectly right so that's the theory of it however however <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, if you actually look at the waveforms, um, sometimes they do, they change over time, right? And so what may appear is completely in phase at the very start of a signal. Um, it's, it is possible that the, the low end may be different, um, in each microphone, if they're very different types of microphones or the room is different. And so, yeah, you might find that like you can move the mic a little bit and all of a sudden it, it, the bottom end actually comes into phase a little bit more which is requires listening and not just requires looking at a screen and like plopping it in the right spot. Um, Eric Valentine actually, who's got one of the best YouTube channels for recording. He, um, uh, he did an experiment that I not experiment. He's got a technique with using like a dick mic on a drum kit, which is you just put a mic over the kick drum point at the dick of the drummer. And, uh, you can use it as kind of a trashy drum sound or you can manipulate it, but he just like arbitrarily using a time adjuster plugin shifts that, like somewhere in relation to the other mics in the drum kit. And you just can feel the bottom end change where it's like, that doesn't seem logical, right? From a- um, Yeah, yeah. I think having the bottom end phase aligned uh, is probably a more important thing than having the top end phase aligned. It's like the only the thing that matters because like the yeah, waveforms- the top end's just going to smooth out. Yeah. And it's probably got to do with that hearing as well. Yeah. Um, well, like, it, it's a physical thing too. Like the waveforms will cancel and you'll hear very audible um, comb filtering happening when it's wrong. Yeah. Sorry, I cut you off in terms of your ears, but- No, no, that's, yeah, comb filtering is the the, fa the phrase, the phase that I'm looking for. So, yeah. yeah, it's really interesting. Even, you know, but yeah, then you can use, I guess it's the same thing that the- Fredman technique uses with two SM57s. Yep. You know, you're you're using the difference in phase response. It's more to smooth out some of the high end. I don't know if that's phase so much. I think that's more. You have one mic that's off axis to the other, so the frequency yep. response is different. Um, it's not well. I guess there there's an element of phase to that, depending on how the the frequencies add and cancel. But you're picking up. You, you, I guess you're just like generally picking up different sounds. I, I've, I I guess like I would think of the phase in that relation as being like more of a distance thing because in the Fredman, like a uh, stereo miking technique, the capsules or the diaphragms of the mics are roughly in the same position or should be in the same position to maintain phase. It's more of a, um, yeah, it's more of a uh, adding cancellation thing of frequencies. I don't know if that's a phasing thing yeah, actually probably isn't a phasing thing sorry i'm i'm like talking to myself as i'm trying to we're work just, out the question we're, we're deep in the rabbit this hole, is what happens when yeah. you come study at uh, north metro tafe and have a lesson from troy nabobarn it's a lot of um, rambling but um anyway getting back to the topic which was the uh, uh which, wait what was the topic we were talking uh, about uh, if you wave dine irs um oh yeah i guess like uh, so the, the pink noise thing just before i um just to finish that thought, if you run pink noise through your cabinet, you can, because it's a constant stream of like full frequency band sound, you can use that to phase align your microphones. So the idea is that if you f reverse the phase of one of the mics, so the, the two mics independent yep. to each other are out of phase, if you sweep one mic around the cabinet, uh, around the speaker cone in relation to the other, um, 
and you listen for where it sounds like there's the most amount of cancellation. Therefore, the, it's the quietest or the bottom end yeah. is the smallest. That's where they're the most. That's the most in phase. Uh, once you reverse yeah. the, like put the, the it's not reverse the phase, it's the rest of the polarity. Once the polarity goes back to normal, they should be theoretically most in phase. And that is very true and very accurate. And I've done that before. It's just a lot more time consuming yeah. and requires you to go and physically move a microphone if you have headphones on, then that's awesome. If you've got an assistant that can do it, that's even more awesome. I made the bass play from the band I recorded last weekend do this with a, um, a microphone in front of a 4x12 when I was doing a guitar solo. Again, ripped it off Eric Valentine. Um, but it's so funny because, you know, Leon, I don't think you and I have done this specific exercise, but um, like when, you, when you're listening back to it, like at a 57 on one speaker, and then a 441 that was ended up being a foot or a foot and a half or something from the the cabinet. But it's like where we started and then as he slowly moved in, you just feel that like that jet engine that like yeah, yeah. all of a sudden it comes back in phase and then it's fucking spot on. So yeah, that's not with pink noise, that's with actual um riffage, I guess. We I think we did it with a reamp signal. But yeah, there's a lot of different ways to get this to <laughs> get it to work. Get it to work. That's get, really interesting. Recording um, there was sorry, go on. Oh, no. You, you go, mate. Recording say, guitars. Yeah, I was going to say, there's so many different techniques to doing it. Um, my technique is fairly, from a miking perspective, is semi-locked in. Um, I know it works, and now I'm trying a few different techniques to see, because I know the thing that always works, always works, you know? Um, exactly. I will say on that, which, you know, if you've got a Vintage 30, put your mic roughly around the edge of the cone slash uh like where, where the um sorry the edge of the dome the speaker dome in the middle and the paper meat just chuck a 57 there you basically could sound however leon i'll just say this to you because um well to everybody but that works really well for me on a um uh v30 but because the dust cap on a greenback is way smaller i actually don't like it in that position as much i find it needs a little bit more wang jangling so Bit of wang jangling. That's a very, very technical term. So anyway, that, to this podcast. Oh well, yeah, that's from Let's Sausage, isn't it? No, it's um, it's from something else. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, not less. So what's ordinary sausage? That's the one. Yeah. Um, no, it's from something else. Anyway, again, rambling, rambling, rambling. Um, I want to talk about. Uh, I wanted to answer one of these questions that we received. Oh yeah, from friend of the podcast, Chris Bernard. Yeah. Well, okay. So, did you read the question? I did. So, bit of bit of Nuno, bit and, um, of Chris, local connection. Yeah. So, Chris, we uh, we met him probably like what 2010, the first Amp Day that we did. Yeah, that was a bit of a so some very quick background. Uh, this this ties in kind of nicer. There was some videos put on the internet by James, friend of the podcast James Lugo. Uh, it was what the ultimate high gain amp shootout where yep. they had lots of amps 35 amps i think 35 amps and it was the same it was done you know like reamping the same track and you could hear soldanos and bogners and marshalls it was i remember it's one of the first kind of guitar nerd moments i had on youtube where i was like this is amazing i think so, at the time it was one of the best resources and like like well thought out ways of doing that experiment um it's probably i'm going to say this is the only one of its kind but it's the only one that was like worth checking out um, at the time so really really cool um but we saw that video i guess whenever it came out 2010 or 9 or 11 or somewhere around there must have been 10 and um you know there was a used to be a forum like a, a message board in perth called perthbands.com which is um i don't think it's there anymore i went to it a long, gone. Ago, long gone but that was where we used to like pre-facebook um 
where we would buy and sell gear. Uh, there was a few little communities of guitar nerds and, um, and generally that was for like Perth music. So that was pretty cool. Um, but I put a thing out there in, it must've been, yeah, 2010 or maybe 2011 well, again. Well, here a we go. Fuzzy. High Gain Amp Shootout 13 years ago. That's when that was uploaded. So that's so 2010? 2010. Yeah. So it was about that same year, but I, I was working at a different studio and I, and I said like, well, okay, all of us that are talking shit on this, um, uh, on this forum, let's just come to this, come to crank and we'll, um, put some gear up and have a listen to it and it'll be fun. So probably like a, what, maybe eight, 10 people came. I know, remember you came yeah. down, um, Johnny C it was the first time we met Johnny C Aniki audio, which we'd still need to talk to him very soon. Uh, but Chris came yeah. down as well. I actually remember Chris said something that it's like, he was like, you know, because uh, I'd mic'd the cabinet up and we listened to all this stuff in the um, like through studio monitors, and he was like, "Can I go in there and actually have a listen to it?" Um, and rather than hear it, a mic'd up amp. I was like, "Oh yeah, that's a really." I didn't. I don't think I followed him in too much because I'm like, I want to hear this from a studio perspective. But it's like, I really wish I'd actually taken the time to walk in there, just deal with the abuse on the ears, and yeah. hear the amp in this in a space because that's something that I've now mentioned I do quite a lot. So. Um, yeah, you were right <laughs> 13 years ago there, Chris. But anyway, so um, Chris came to the, the amp shootout and the second one as well. Uh, brought some gear along because he, he had the Digitech stuff, remember? The rack. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Running a rack. That was pretty interesting. Um, but anyway, so Chris has been listening to the pod, which is awesome. And um, and sorry that I didn't reply to your message as well. I had meant to do that all week because you got me thinking. And when I'm thinking, I'm not replying. But he asked about the uh, Nuno Betancourt um, Randall amp because we are all smart people here in Perth and we all love Nuno Betancourt. So, uh, shall I read the message? Please read the message and then we'll do our best to- We well, said he's loving the podcast, but uh, what can you tell me about the Randall NB King amp as the backstory of how it, it was invented in Perth uh, and the uh, backstory of how it was invented in Perth. As far as I know, uh, with Peter King at Junalot Music, the additional st story I heard was it was a modded Ashton head. Can we confirm, deny any details of the story? So that was the message and a great question. And um, actually, I had been doing a little bit of looking into that amp not long before he sent that message, just by coincidence. So do you know too much about that? I have some recollections of it because I used to go into Junalot Music a lot. It was basically my local music store. And Firstly, did you ever play the amp, the Nuno amp? Uh, I've never played the Nuno amp, mm -hmm. the production Randall, but I did play the King branded amp yep. that... I understand is part of the development of it. So the long and short of it is that Nuno married Baby Animals lead singer Susie Damashi. Um, and I forget if it's Susie's brother or cousin or what the relationship there is, but family member is Peter King who owned Junalup Music and Modified Amps and did things like that. So uh, the very first time I ever remember going into Junalup Music, I remember them mentioning, it's like, oh, uh, it was um, Pete's son actually saying, oh, well, it must be must must be a sibling thing because he said, oh, yeah, uh, Nuno Betancourt from Extremes, my uncle, basically. Um, I remember I mixing like, him at a gig in uh, Fremantle around like 15 years ago and that's like- Dan. Dan Dan's yeah. his name. Yep. And that's the, the one thing I remember him saying as well, like the first sentence. <laughs> and I just remember thinking like, no, he's not. You're just you're just lying. Uh, anyway, I was wrong. And Dan's a lovely guy as well. So uh, yeah, and big big time gear nerd, and always had some fun stories to share. But yeah, I remember going in one day, and he was like, "Oh, hey, check this out." And there was an amp in there um, which said King on it, 
and he was like, yeah, this is, you know, um, we've been taking these Ashton amps and modifying them. Like they're actually pretty, you know, Ashton made a tube head at one stage. We should do a podcast about Ashton. I'd love to know more about the mm. history of that brand. Um, nevertheless, yeah, basically it was a, I, I'm pretty sure it's a modified Ashton amp is what I'm getting That's- at, Chris, where, yeah, they rebranded it and then he was like, yeah, Nuno's been, you know, jamming on it or whatever and really likes it. Yeah, I mean, like, that's sort of what I understand as well. Like, they, and I read something today about it where I think it's the Ashton Viper. That's the mm-hmm. specific amp that they were modding. Um, I'm pretty sure Gibbsy was playing King amps for a while as, as well. He was, yeah. Which, unfortunately, so I, uh, Chris Gibbs, shout out to you, but I was uh, supposed to work with him at TAFE yesterday, but my son was sick, so I wasn't able to, um, uh, to go in. But I actually had met, uh, I was planning to have a chat to him about it because I think he was working at Junilet Music around the same time as well. Yep. Chris so, has got some great, great, if you, the Ashton thing, the Monterey Guitars thing, all of that. I'm, I think he's got a lot of firsthand knowledge yeah. about it. So I would, I really wanted to find out a bit more because there's actually a video of Chris playing uh, like a, he did an instructional video thing long, long time. I think it was about 2004, but there's some clips of it on YouTube and he's playing a King amp in the background of that. I remember that. I think it's a red I'm just, uh, While we're talking about this, I'm going to look up Chris Gibbs guitar, Larravee guitars played by Chris Gibbs. That's a thing. That's such good guitars, those Larravees. Uh, what's Chris's? Noisathon. Yes, yep. that's right. All right, I'm going to bring up Chris's YouTube channel while we're doing this. So. Well, yeah, there's a tapping thing that, like, it's actually a really cool tapping leak, which is worth, worth yeah, checking actually. out. Yeah, actually. Chris but- is a great tapper actually uh yeah he's playing a king head guitar lesson two-handed tapping basic lesson would recommend great lick and there's a young chris gibbs just dominating yeah so <laughs> probably the same age as we are right now and that maybe a little bit younger anyway doesn't matter but um anyway so uh the king amps that's that's basically what i understand as well and i think some this may be not what happened but i i, I have a feeling that it was just like you know, it was supposed to be a King amp. Like it was, that was the deals. Like Nuno was going to be playing these things um, and start endorsing them properly. But the next thing, like a year or two years later, he's got, minute. The, yeah, he's got the thing with, um, with Randall, which yeah, I, as I understand it, it's just because Randall was a bigger company and probably more capable of producing the amps. Um, I don't think it was anything more sinister that, than that. I mean, the, it's called the NB King. So it's still got his name on it. And, um, yeah, I mean, he's. I've watched some interviews with Nuno talking about it, where he mentions like the like Peter King's name. Um, doesn't say it's his brother-in-law, but just um, I'm not sure if they actually had split at that point as well. I feel like they they split sometime around there. But again, I don't say that to be anything nefarious with the amps being used or not used or anything like that too. Um, there's definitely there's definitely some family. Uh, you know, there's some probably some soap opera element to it as well. In that the, part, I'm not going to. None of my business, and I don't know yeah. anything, so I'm not even going to comment on that. Um, yeah, well, I, not that I know anything. I, about neither do it, I. Yeah, it's, so it's I just don't want to put that outside out of my uh, <laughs> far outside of my wheelhouse. You know, communicating those rumors, but yeah, I think that's a connection. So but yeah, so he that's um, the Perth connection. Yeah, but um, the the yeah. Perth connection, King amps—they never happened. They went with Randall instead. But as yeah, as far as I know, it's the the design. It's like his amp design, the the thing that Nuno wanted. Um, the amp itself, from the little bit of reading I did, was apparently not something he played for very long. So uh, allegedly, allegedly, I say that as well. Um, not uh, super reliable as a head. So sound aside, I I think he apparently took it on some tours and it was 
like dying on him a bit and yeah, wasn't able to, uh, wasn't like reliable enough to, to, for him to pursue. And he's been playing DSLs for like 10 years now. Yeah. So, um, in fact, did you watch so the Super Bowl? Did you watch the Super Bowl with Rihanna? Uh, no, actually, I didn't. Yeah. Well, I mean, he, he played oh, no. that. That was like a month yes. and a half ago, two months yeah, ago. Yeah. Yeah. So he was playing a DSL on stage on that, on that gig because I remember looking out for it because the amps got that weird um, VU meter on it. Which, yeah, yeah, when it came out, I was like, genius, like, yeah, why don't all amps have a VU on it? And then it took me two seconds to realize, like, what does it do? Like, it's not going to tell you the loudness of anything because, like, the the volume that you play at is never going to be a, a, yeah. like, required to be metered. He made a comment <laughs> in, in another video that I watched about it saying it was useful for telling when tubes were going out because, you know, it yeah, set at a certain level and it wasn't handy. firing as much, but. It's kind of like, well, big fucking whoop. Um, you probably hear if it's dying anyway. So, yeah, I'd love to play one of those amps. Um, I, I didn't ever play the King amps, but um, we should actually, um, you know, we were talking about uh, getting some guests on. If we talk to Jason from Head First, I'd love to know, I'd love to like hip him beforehand to get, ask him about the um, the Viper, the Ashton Viper, and see if he's got any uh, any goss on that. Because I'd be curious to know what was changed. If there's any if any details he can provide, being that he is yeah. Mr. Amp. So um, that's Sherlock something. Amps. Oh wait, <laughs> Sherlock Amps actually are an amp company. I think out of South Australia. <laughs> is it um, South? Yeah, that's right. Because they had a I cool think, power amp or something. Or yeah, pre-amp. I think Carnival were using them for a while. Oh or really? The Sherlock Fathead. Yeah, that's another. Aussie Amp Company. So, yeah, man, that's... Them, very, Woogie. Very <laughs> Woogie, that was another one at the, at the Amp Day as well. Yeah, Very, very interesting. So, look, Chris, thank you for the question. Thank you for watching the podcast. Don't know if, if we anybody else- too much, but I, what I'm going to do in the next week, quickly before you say that, is I will do a bit more research with a couple of people that were around in that time. And um, if I can, if I have any follow-up information, then I will uh, present it next week. And eventually we'll get our own Netflix show about amps. Just... Two guys being dudes. Uh, yeah, I'm, I can't think of a joke there, so it doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, cool bananas, Uncle Ian. Well, is that is that basically it for today? I think that's it for this week. If anybody else has any questions, uh, message us on Instagram uh, or message or leave a comment on you know my YouTube. You know where to find us. And uh, anyone in Perth, they can catch the Gear Podcast live at the Henley Brook on Friday from 4 till 7 and playing music. If you happen to be a uh, Fremantle Docker supporter and you're at the Derby on Sunday, um, give me a wave and um, I'll make sure Who's I wave back to you. going to win the Derby? Quick prediction before we go. Oh, man, I really hope it's the Dockers. Uh, I think if they go 0-3 and three to start the year, it's going to be a very, very, very long year. But happy that the Eagles had a good win on, um, uh, on Sunday. Yeah, I think so, the Eagles could they could pinch one. They could. They um they're going in like maybe not favorites, but uh it's not like a huge upset. Like the last derby like was a last blowout. Like that was embarrassing. Oh the first <sighs> I think it was actually the first derby. The the um free home one was a little closer, but it was still like yeah, domination. <laughs> so we'll see. Anyway, it's a good weekend for West Australian football, most importantly. That's that's a really important thing. All right, everybody, thanks for tuning in. We will see you next week on the Gear Podcast. Peace.